Humanity has the stars in its future, and that future is too important to be lost under the burden of juvenile folly and ignorant superstition. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. How do you like those apples, Matthew? Kaboom. Do you know who it was? Uh, no, I don't. Tell me. It was only Isaac Asimov. Ooh. Bosh. I absolutely love Isaac Asimov. You're a fan, aren't you? Do you know what? I, I haven't read many of his books, uh, yeah. but Isaac Asimov, the person, is really quite remarkable. He, unfortunately, died from uh, a, a blood transfusion and got AIDS. Oh, no. Back in the early days, isn't that Ouch. crazy? That's no way to go. I might, I might buy his biography. I think that's definitely worth a shout. That's just what I do, Matt, when, when, you know, when, we, when we cover someone good. I, I, I just want to know more. I'm like a sponge. Talking of books. Oh, yeah. I got sent a book. What, what, what did you get? I got a book called Rocket Men that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. And it's about uh, Apollo 8, one of our favourite ever missions. Oh, yes. I and remember And it's by this. the New York Times best-selling author of Shadow Divers, Mr. Robert Curson. That is exciting. You'll have to lend it to me afterwards, please. It's looking absolutely amazing. You sort of dip in read a little bit and it's about what the Russians were thinking at the time and you go, oh my God, it's amazing. Are you reading it right now? Is that why I can hear rustling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt, wait till after the podcast. I keep telling you this. I just can't. I can't put it down. Hey, Matt. Yes. You know I love a bit of Falcon 9 news. Have you got any for me? I've got a bit for you. You ready for this? Hit me. There's actually a flight coming up very soon, but ignoring that flight, there is um, a Block 5 version of the Falcon 9 ready to be tested over at McGregor. Ooh. It's core 1046. Come on. That's a major stepping stone for SpaceX. They need to fly seven of these uh, to be trusted by NASA to send crew up So on, on one of them. So this, this is it. This is the last version of the Falcon 9. This is it. No more. And it's going to stay the same. And this is going to be the one that gets used very, very quickly, reused very, very quickly, rapid reuse. This is it. This is the future of space flight. I like the way you. I like the way you said that, Matt. Thanks. And I. I also like the word rapid. It's good, isn't it? Rapidement. Rapido. Hey, Matt. I think I should talk about Curiosity. Oh yes, this is brilliant news. NASA's Mars Curiosity rover has conducted the first test of a new technique of drilling on the Red Planet. Apparently, its drill stopped working reliably, so it needed a. Needed a bit of a mix-up, Matt. It stopped working, didn't it? Over a year ago, it, it yeah. kind of went, and the uh, poor old technicians have been trying to work out if they can get round it. Well, apparently this is apparently this is first of many tests, um, and it drilled about, an uh, what is it, half an inch down at a target called Lake Orcady. Uh, it's not very far, is it, Matt? <laughs> it's not, but it's just a test to but see hey, if Matt, it works. You know the old saying, don't you? What? It's not the size of the boat, mm-hmm. it's the motion of the ocean. Quelle mouvement dans le champ qu'est important. Doesn't matter that it's half an inch drill. <laughs> it's, the, it's what do we get out of a res- it's, the, it's the result, isn't it, Matt? It's exactly right. <laughs> i tell you what, it doesn't get any better, uh, Matt, because I'm going to go on and tell you about the dr- that the drill normally uses a finger-like stabiliser mm-hmm. to steady itself against the rock. But Curiosity's engineering team 
were able to hack the robot drill so that it uses one of the arm sensors and uses the whole arm to push the drill into the rock. Got a quote here from Stephen Lee, mm-hmm. Deputy Product Manager at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. Um, and he said, we're now drilling on Mars more like the way you do at home. I'm pretty sure he doesn't sound like <laughs> no, that. No, no, he does. Stephen Lee. You reckon? Really? Heard him on YouTube. Oh, interesting. Um, so, yeah, what do you think about that? I think that's amazing. So, we're basically, we're drilling more like you do at home, just like literally using your arm to push the drill in. Well, he goes on to say, humans are pretty good at recentering the drill, almost without thinking about it. <laughs> Progra- <laughs> <laughs> Programming curiosity to do this by itself was challenging especially when it wasn't designed to do that. I bet it was. I bet it was. Um, Apologies to Stephen Lee. But yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? That is a proper hack. You see, I hate the phrase life hack. Oh, God. (laughs) Seven life hacks. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's a bit like TV Quick's top tips. It's it's just life hacks. It's just just top tips rebranded. Oh, God. You won't believe number four. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get to use the beep. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, dear. Now, I, here's another Mars mission. Go on. Uh, a British one this time. No, British one. <laughs> a European one this time. Oh, yeah. The TGO, the Trace Gas Orbiter. Oh, yeah. Which yes. is, of course, part of the ExoMars, the European and Russian Mars program. Mm. What I didn't know until I saw a tweet by Cosmic Carol, actually, is that it's been spending all the time it's been there at the moment doing aero braking. So, obviously, it approaches Mars really, really quickly. Yeah. And then goes into orbit, but this orbit's massively elliptical. So one part of it gets very, very close, and the other part gets really far away. So it gets as close as 124 miles from the surface as it it. comes in, and then gets almost 61,000 miles out at its furthest bit. And That's every quite time, far. well, it's it's massively far, but it's but it's more the fact that it's near. So every time it comes in, it's using Mars's atmosphere to slow it down, right? So and it's been doing that uh, time and time and time and time again for a- absolutely ages, and it's finally uh, stopped doing its aero braking. So it's finally got down to the speed where it can start using its um, rockets to circularize its orbit and actually start doing proper science isn't that exciting that's pretty clever actually isn't it so that's and that's worked like a dream by the looks of it oh nice work tgi once it's in its final orbit it will be sort of a 250 miles up which is very similar to the international space station of course matt you know what Mm -hmm. you know i like to praise you when you do stuff i like it when you give me a distance Mm -hmm. i mean sure sure (laughs) sure it's geeky <laughs> I love a distance. We're going to have lots so of distances what? in our in our in our in our mission of the week. We're going to have lots of distances, Jamie. You're not going to be disappointed. What was, it? what was the what was the potty where we um, where we really were blowing each other's minds and, and oh, hopefully the, uh, other people's? Where we were talking about distances. Oh, it was the one about the how, how long it would take a jet oh, aircraft to, yeah. to, to fly the solar system. Oh my god! Well, I every might... time you talk about the solar system, you realise that the distances are just insane. I might have to go back and listen to that one because that that was nuts. I was, in fact, I was reading the Interstellar um, Initiative 
um, magazine this oh. this this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you play. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, and uh, there was one about um, a, a paper about uh, chasing down Humuamua, uh, and it was incredible. Like it, it, like sending spacecraft out to rendezvous with Rama or Hamuamua and uh, try and catch it up. And in its, and they reckon it's just about possible with today's technology or, or you know, almost technology that we almost have to actually yeah. go and do it, to actually go and try and fly up to this thing and, and check it out. Because after That's all, ridiculous. it might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Talking of oh. things a bit more down-to-earth, oh, yeah. who, who's come back down-to-earth, Jamie? Do you know? Well, I'll tell you who's just come down, Matt. It's Mark van der Heij. NASA mm-hmm. astronaut, and also Joe Akaba, mm-hmm. and what a... cosmonaut Alexander Misurukin. Do you know what? I thought you were going to forget about the old poor old Ross Cosmos dude. I might have pronounced his surname wrong. Apologies. Mizukin. But you know we love a, <laughs> a mispronunciation. Mispronounced okay, surname. Well, okay, I'd like you to have a go at the town that they came down in, in Kazakhstan. <laughs> Dehiz Kazkian. Yeah, I like I it. Think. Actually, I think that's pretty good. We'll have to ask someone. Any Kazakhstanis listening? All that's left on the ISS now is Anton Shklaplerov and your mate Scott Tingle. Ah, oh, the and my mate still going. Noroshigi Ganai of the oh, Japanese yes. Aerospace Exploration yeah. Agency. More on them later. We love uh, those guys. And going up soon, March the 21st, in, a, in three weeks' time, exactly today, Ricky Arnold. Ricky! Ricky! <laughs> Ricky! And Drew Fustel. Drew, that's a pretty strong American name right there, isn't it? That is pretty strong. And don't forget Oleg, which is a pretty Russian name. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Oleg Artyomyev. Wow, uh, that's three Rostos stereotypes Mark. for you. Love right it. Right there. Three stereotypes. If only Ricky Arnold was British, that'd be so Ricky. ace, wouldn't it? Ricky Brilliant. Arnold from the East End. you imagine ricky arnold working at uh sort of the tomato stall don't you yeah where'd you get your where'd you get your potatoes from jamie reminds me of that joke matt doesn't it six for a quid (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh dearie me yes um yeah wow what else has been happening well i read a i read an article in room this week uh which was about uh the european astronaut center so obviously it caught my eye Big time. Uh, and it was they know us down there. Yeah, they big time. So, and it was about, and actually, um, uh, Hervé last week, if you listen uh-huh. very carefully to his interview, actually mentioned a bit of it. But it's, it was all about how the European Astronaut Centre is shifting its emphasis to deep space missions. So, everything Whoa. that they've been doing has been, like, obviously, up until now, has been uh, training people for low Earth orbit. But now, they're really training people for deep space missions and there was a couple of things in there that i didn't know about it and uh, so there will be a lunar european exploration laboratory that's currently being built exactly where we were at the dlr in cologne Uh, and it's and it's a massive fully enclosed dome where they're going to film the fake footage of the next lunar landings i mean where they're going to train astronauts uh, <laughs> uh, on a test bed that oh, will comprise dear. of lunar regolith simulant sourced from the local Eiffel region volcanic and basalt sources. 
Jeez, I love so, that. Yeah, so it's going to be a complete moon environment inside this massive shed that they're building at oh, the moment. I want to go back. Yeah, I know, and it's going to be fully, full. I think you'll find it will be fully operational by May 2018, so quite soon. This isn't the lunar you're looking for. <laughs> I think you'll find. So, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, wow. that's pretty cool. We need to go back, Matt, and check that out. That's I know. I, I, yeah, I really do want to go and see that. I, I genuinely do. But Paris first. Paris first, Jamie. Paris first. Paris first. Well, it also speaks volumes, Matt, doesn't it, about the shift in change of thinking. People are, it, it seems like the industry's going, you know what? We know that the ISS is, um, you know, finite, and uh, we need to start thinking about, you know, the moon and Mars more. So let's train yeah. you this way. Yeah. And we don't want to get left behind here in Europe. So we, we, we're on it. Hervé's on it. Hervé yeah. the yes. hero. Listen, America and Russia and Japan, if you think that Europe is two steps behind, <laughs> got another <laughs> thing coming. You wait till you wait till you hear about our space mission of the month, Jamie. Oh, oh. So, God, yes. Well, yes, it's an old one, but a good one. So going back to a bit of NASA... The one thing that I yeah. hadn't noticed is that the Deep Space Gateway well, it wasn't referred to as the Deep Space Gateway in NASA's new budget proposal. It was referred to as the Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway. Or the l- Lopg. <laughs> the Lopg. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, that, it's, does no it? it's not as good, is it? It's not as good. No, I don't know what not. they were thinking. Deep Space Gateway is like a sci fi film. <laughs> exactly much cooler stargate yeah, yeah Particularly if they gave it a name deep space gateway 202 i never watched um uh in- interstar what was it called no stargate. no Battlestar galactica mm-hmm. i never watched that but it does remind me of that Battlestar galactica what you never saw the original or the new one no i just i just knew it was a thing the new, the new one watched it. The, the new one has its moments, you know. It actually, has its really? moments. Yeah, it's it's it, uh, it, it's it, it, it sometimes falls down into super cheesiness, but but often I might check yeah, it out. Yeah, it's all it, it's all right. I mean, it, it's it's a bit of a commitment though. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll see what I see. What like I get all on. TV. Very true. So uh, there's been a few there's been a few things in the old rocket industry things going on. By oh, the way, yeah. Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. So we've had. The Japanese have been in action. What have they been up to? They've had their H-2A launch a massive reconnaissance satellite, basically to spy on uh, North Korea. Because oh. basically, North because obviously Japan's very close to North Korea. And yeah. to be fair, what they're doing is pretty scary. So they've been sending quite say, a few you'd of want these. to have a little look, wouldn't you? <laughs> they've been sending quite a few of these up. I think I think this is the sixth one, just so that they can keep an eye on what the hell uh, North Korea are up to. Matt, let me ask you this. If mm-hmm. I, how much money would I need to buy a spy satellite mm-hmm. and, and get it to look in your garden and your, in, in your house, feed me back Ooh. all data? Well, it'd have to be a pretty big, in fact, it would have to be unprecedentedly big um, telescope because it'd have to be in geostationary orbit for one. So it was, maybe so, a, maybe a maybe a drone will be cheaper. Yeah, no, that that's 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 something that could like yeah, like a big helium balloon. Ooh. I'm going to see if I can do it without you noticing. Okay, well, let you, you... yeah, that's going to be <laughs> my mission a... for the next year. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit scared by. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god uh, so oh, yeah but, but and then another exciting very exciting thing and this is someone that we don't talk about very often and he's obviously not that charismatic because if i said to you who was the founder of microsoft who would what would you say well i'd obviously say bill gates yeah but it's not it's it's yours and my mate paul allen who was uh, Khaleesi's tour manager? But I don't no think it's way. that. I don't think it's that Paul Allen. Different Paul Allen. <laughs> yeah. So he. It was um, no. Yeah. So Paul Allen is is built this thing called the Strato Launcher, which we which, which we've talked about before. We've talked about. Yeah. But it is enormous. There was bit, the video of it this week is been absolutely amazing because it's been thundering down the runway to give yeah. it a test. Forty six miles an hour. It's it's been going down the runway. And it's absolutely huge. So, do you like? Do you really like me giving you lengths? Um, I think you should. Okay, it's got a wingspan of 117 meters. Yeah, and it can it can take off when it's 590 metric tons. What? ridiculous yeah it's ridiculous (laughs) so yeah so he's my god he's hoping to have it flying by 2019 and uh by 2020 doing commercial launches which look like it will be multiple pegasus xl rockets coming off the bottom of it so it looked like it's like trying to shoot down some other plane but really it's launching rockets into space but what I didn't know is that SpaceX was supposed to originally build the rocket for the bottom of this thing, but they kind of went their separate ways because Elon was much more interested in Mars. Pegasus XL. I like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the sort of jumper that my uncle would wear. Yeah, I, I, it, it does actually sound a bit too much like a, a spreadsheet company. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> but they're actually thinking of doing a scaled-down dream chaser oh, that yes. might, might be able to carry two or three crew up to low-Earth orbit. I think that's my destiny, Maybe that's to it. travel on the dream chaser. Yeah, and a scaled-down one would be perfect for you as well. I don't know if you've done it before. I've done it once and loved it. I'm going in a uh, in a sensory deprivation pod. Oh, nice. It's a, it's a float tank, mm-hmm. in, in layman's <clears> terms. And so you get in, uh, uh, you get in a big pod mm-hmm. uh, filled with water, and there's a load of um, salt in there. Mm-hmm. I think it's—I I don't think it's your regular sea salt, man. <laughs> and uh, you know some magnesium and all that yeah, jazz. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and and it's Sounds you know the same over. temperature. Water is yeah, water's the same temperature as your oh, yeah, your, yeah. your body temperature, which I believe is was it thirty five mm-hmm. degrees, and. Uh, and then there's music for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. and then it's pitch black. It does sound good. For 40 minutes. It's so great. It's like you're floating in space. I think everyone should try let, it. But let me ask you this. Surely we're offering the same service. If you listen to the podcast, is, is a form of <laughs> sensory deprivation. If you listen to this podcast and <laughs> close your eyes, you, you... <laughs> lie back on your bed, it's the same thing. Exactly the same thing. You'll be fully relaxed <laughs> and feel like you're in you space. You will be fully relaxed. And feel like you're in space. There we go. There's the punchline. So I tell you what, <laughs> write in and let us know. Have you have you gone in this float? I tell you what, Matt. It just makes me not only just relax, but it really clears my mind. It makes me. It, it feels like a bit of a trip. Would you Would you be allowed? Way. I think you do start tripping, don't you? After a, After a while, but would you be allowed to listen to the podcast in the in this sensory deprivation? Uh, I don't. I don't think they've got that set up. Uh, Maybe I'll mention it to I her think, on the I way in. Excuse me. Um, do you have the uh, critically acclaimed interplanetary podcast <laughs> instead of whale noises? Nice. 
She might do. More on that next week. Um, hey, Matt, mm-hmm. you know what we haven't mentioned? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw in the news this morning mm-hmm. that uh, they're going to have Wi-Fi on the moon and Mars for the, uh, for the rovers and the, and the little droids. Oh, nice. And what do you think about that? I think it's a, I, I don't know if it's a, a bidding war between Vodafone and Nokia, I think. Do, do, do um, the droids and yeah. rovers need to check their Facebook profiles though? I don't know what it's all about. I should probably have read a bit more. <laughs> I'll have some more information next week. How about that? Okay. But talking about a bit of technology. Go on. Um, just just after we recorded our last last week's podcast, um, yeah. there, there was pictures coming in from SpaceX's Mr. Steven that was trying to catch oh, the uh, fairies. To catch the, have you yeah, seen, the Have you seen the pictures of... Of it. I saw the pictures. Amazing! It's an amazing boat, but unfortunately, it, the fairing landed in the sea. But it looked pretty intact, so they're getting they're yeah. getting pretty close. I liked I liked looking at all the comments, and then just out of out of all these thousands of comments, there was Elon just saying, "You never know, it might work." <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I think he was being a bit optimistic, yeah, genius. Uh, <clears throat> but that's just the way he is. Brilliant. Now he, here's a drink. Here's an, a drink. Here's an answer. I didn't think we, we would get as quick as we did and that's um uh isa inspector the isa inspector general no less tony tolka nielsen such a good yeah, name that's great uh did a really obviously super quick job and he's pinpointed the problem of the ariane 5 partial failure the other day whoa go on then and this really is a sounds like a sort of spreadsheet mistake uh, hmm. uh the um it was a there was a sort of special requirement for the mission that the azimuth required not the az- azimuth but the azimuth not to be confused required for the alignment yeah. of the inertial units was 70 degrees instead of 90 degrees Aha. and it's normally 90 degrees so obviously that got left in the spreadsheet and so that meant that the rocket went 20 degrees off course obviously fell out of the communication funnel and uh, that's why they lost uh, contact with it so there so we now go. we know they can up their procedures to make sure that the uh, quality control checks are done in future, and uh, which in some ways makes the Ariane 5 even more reliable. And, and I say that thinking about James Webb. Oh, yeah, our favourite thing. Well, Matt, you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs, no. some space eggs. So uh, that's just the way we have to think about it. Did you see the depressing news about James Webb? No. Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot wrong with it at the moment. And oh. Yeah, so that the, the poor old Lockheed Martin, no, actually not Lockheed Martin. I'm, what am I talking? About? It's Northrop Grumman. They're they're um, working 24 hours a day apparently to try and fix all these problems. But it's looking like the June 2019 launch window is very much in doubt. And oh no! And, and so that's going to add. Guess how much it's cost so far? Oh, go on. 8.8 billion. Dollars. <laughs> it's like, man, if that thing blows up on an Ariane Five, I'm gonna—I'm literally going to have to. I don't know what I'm going to do, Jamie. I'm stressed. I think. I about think it. you'll hyperventilate. Yeah. And cry. <laughs> so, talking about things that went up on an Ariane Five, oh, I want to—I yeah. want to talk. I want to talk about my the thing that I really want to talk about this week: the space mission of the week. Have we got a jingle? If only. We need to we need to have a space mission of the week jingle. Can someone send us one in, please? Yeah, do it. I may seem like a geek, 
but I have for you space mission of the week. <laughs> it's pretty good. Thanks. It's pretty good. Issa's plank. It's Issa's plank mission. And that's P-L-A-N-C-K, right? Well, yeah. It's named after the great German physicist Max Planck. What Again, what a great name. Max Planck. But he was a student of one of my most favourite scientists of all time, Helmholtz, inventor of the Helmholtz oh. resonator. No studio recording could have been done without Mr. Helmholtz. So anyway, one of his Tip students, of Max cow. Planck, the inventor of the Planck constant, the Planck postulate, the Planck's law of black body radiation, the third law of th- thermodynamics, Nobel Prize winning, Lorentz Medal winning, etc., etc., yeah. Basically, you can't talk about small things without talking about Max Planck. Um, uh, yes, it's named after him. And uh, it wasn't... Actually, I don't think it was actually... wasn't originally called Max Planck either. It was called the Cosmic Background Radiation Anisotropy Satellite. Whoa. Yeah. Which apparently spells co- cobras. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. but it's actually called Max Planck and it cost 700 million euros for a 205 nice. kilogram space observatory and it operated from 2009 to 2013 and was a medium sized mission from ESA's Horizon 2000 uh, so this program. mapped so this mapped what exactly so it mapped the and I'm going to say this word again. The anisotropies. So, isotropy is uh, is actually how regular something is. So, if it's something is isotropic, it's regular in every direction. So, right. anisotropy is when it's irregular in, in in all sorts of directions and stuff. So, it's mapping how uneven the cosmic background radiation is. Got it. Okay. Yeah. From the Greek... I'm with you. ...anisos, unequal, and tropos, turn. So, yeah, it's it's how it's unequal in different directions. So This is an education today, isn't it? Yeah, so wood is an example of something that has an isotrophy, which is uh, that it's easier to split along the grain than against it. So it's obviously different in different directions. Um, the cosmic background radiation, we need to have a little bit of background on that. The universe, as it was 380,000 years after the Big Bang. It's just inc- you could Think about That's that. That's ridiculous. The, the universe started, and then 380,000 years later, we've got a picture. We've got a picture of what it looks like. And, and the whole point about this Planck telescope was it was to look at this picture and try and get it as accurate as possible. And it, it's literally so accurate, it's essentially at the limit of, of, of how accurate you can be. I might have to Google that picture. Oh, man, it's, it's a very, very famous picture. And, and often you see globes now. that are, You can buy a globe of the uh, cosmic background radiation. So the very first one that was done uh, was called COBE. Yeah. And then that was um, improved by NASA's Wilkinson Microwave Anisotropy Probe. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was WMAP. But this one, the European Space Agency, was able to get this three times more precise and in nine frequency bands rather than five. So it's been able to look at 
at, at that in, in unprecedented detail. Absolutely amazing. And God, that's nuts. And and you think, well, what's the point of that? What is the point of that? Tell us the point, Matt. So it's to determine the large-scale properties of the universe with high precision and accurately determine the density of normal matter, allowing us to calculate. So it allows us to calculate the total number of atoms in the visible universe. That's what that picture does. That is crazy. Uh, so it also, Matt. Yeah investigates the nature and determine the amount of dark matter. And dark energy. Dark energy as well. Yeah. So that was the major surprise of the 1990s when people went, not only is the universe expanding, and they thought it would be slowing down in its expansion because of gravity, it turned out that it's expanding and getting faster. So an, a, a mysterious energy is forcing that to happen, and it's called dark energy. Dark energy, that's so metal. So, yeah, absolutely. There should be so many metal albums called Dark Energy. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. Uh, so, hopefully, all this data is from uh, the Planck Observatory, and it already has. It's, it's made absolutely uh, our understanding of the universe um, much, much clearer. And uh, I was going to so, say, what are the upshot? What are some of the upshots? So, one of its massive successes is confirmation of the universe having twenty six percent dark matter yeah it's a validation of the simplest models of inflation yeah it kind of has put massive doubt on the fourth proposed neutrino type the sterile neutrino so it looks like there are only three types of neutrino Hmm. so from the measurements made by this particular telescope it turns out that the universe is slightly older than we thought at 13.798 billion years old <laughs> Whoa. contains 4.82% ordinary matter, 25.8% dark matter and 69% dark energy. <laughs> My god. Uh, and it measured the Hubble constant to 67.80. Matt, are some stats. That is some stats. And not only that, it's it's revealed it's revealed that the first stars in the universe started forming later than previous observ- observations of the cosmic microwave background indicated. So no the way. new analysis, and I mean new analysis, has come out very recently, shows that these stars were the only sources needed to account for reionizing atoms in the cosmos, having completed half of this process when the universe had reached an age of only 700 million years. That's just insane. And, and My this, head hurts and, again, Matt. Yeah, and in this week, in a, in a kind of related article, uh, in, in a paper in Nature published this week, uh, astronomers have discovered that very earliest stars forming, but in a colder universe than expected. So that's hinting at some kind of dark matter action as well. Matt, that, that is very interacts. topical in these cold weather yes. Oh, yeah, days. man. Yeah. Bit nippy, it's, isn't it? Oh my god! But, uh, is it nippy us outside? English don't like that. We don't like going on about it, do we? <laughs> we don't like talking to the we- talking about the weather. Here are some of the constants that that have been m- managed to be measured using the data from Planck. Go on. Uh, the densities of baryonic matter, dark matter, and dark energy, and the spectral indica- index, which describes the relative amount of primordial fluctuations, which are at the end of the day, the seeds of which galaxies grow from and galaxy clusters. 
That's the sound of my brain, Matt. I mean, what? I know. Well, if you think about it, the cosmic background, cosmic microwave background is actually an imprint of the ripples from the universe as it existed one non-nillionth of a second after its <laughs> formation. That's uh, not... Yes. <laughs> that is uh. 0.301 of a second after the universe first started. And that is what determines what the cosmic microwave background looks like. So something like literally a tiny little atom singularity and there is a picture of it the planck telescope took a picture essentially of that tiny little nascent universe god how, now just that how, how genius is, is that absolutely genius so let me tell you about the tel- telescope itself and what and, and, and what it and what it did so it uh, the actual telescope it's a physical object like I said, it launched on a Ariane 5 ECA on mm. the 14th of May 2009. And it was actually uh, launched two satellites, including the Herschel Space Observatory. So though between those two um, satellites, they have discovered so many things about the universe. And so many science programs you see on telly are based around discoveries that these two space observatories have made. The launch placed the craft into one of these elliptical orbits, a bit like we were talking about um, oh, yeah. ExoMars earlier on. Mm. Uh, so it, it, it went into an orbit that's 170 miles high by 700,000 miles in, the, in, the, in its furthest distance. Right. Uh, and that means it's able to try and slot itself uh, into what's known as the L2 Lagrange point. Which is oh, basically Lagrange is back. We haven't said that for a while. Oh, I know, and I and I love them. They're just you brilliant. Do. So yeah. L two, well, basically, it's the other side of the Earth from the Sun, and it and, and it stays there. So it's it's just just at the kind of radius of Earth's what's known as the Hill Sphere, and the Hill Sphere is the minimum distance that a moon is retained by its planet so as a moon goes round, if it's outside of the hill sphere it just won't be held by the planet anymore and and could be Mm. stripped off by um other other bodies in the solar system so um it this l2 lagrange point is exactly uh where gravitation and inertia are balanced Uh, and there's all these lagrange points are in different places around um the orbiting of so it's a three body problem thing so this tiny body orbiting around these two bigger bodies in this case the sun and the earth so it's the lagrange point a sun earth lagrange point l2 which is a very mm. popular um lagrange point and it's exactly where the james webb <laughs> telescope's going to go of all the lagrange points it's probably my favorite it is it's it's the destination for like your super observatories like the james webb telescope is going there for example and the best thing about it it's outside of earth's radiation belts as well so that doesn't disturb it but the but the real advantage is that you can stay in the shadow of the earth and the moon so that the sun's radiation doesn't heat up the spacecraft because this is the critical thing so that what the what you don't want to do is have sunlight landing on the spacecraft and heating it up because as we'll hear later on this is going to be phenomenal 
So when it gets to this Lagrange point, it does what's known as a Lizarjou orbit. And I love that name. Wow. Lizarjou, which is a quasi-periodic orbital trajectory. Um, oh, yes. Around. It's like a halo. Not quite a halo, because it shouldn't be confused with a halo or a Lyapunov orbit around hmm. the Lagrange point, and uh, which means that... As it goes round, it's continually uh, avoiding being in the sun's light, and it's using the Earth and the Moon as a sunshade. Whoa! Uh, yeah, it's genius. That's a hell of a sunshade. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it's. Imagine how expensive it is. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's. It's a long Lagrange point. That Lagrange point is a very very long way away. So it is at nine hundred thirty thousand miles away. Well, Jeez. or one and a half million kilometers. So just just under a million miles away, and that's where the James Webb Telescope's going. So it blooming better work, or, it or, better or it's going to be depressing. <laughs> oh, uh, so, everything will be crossed. So when it, its major goals was, of course, the high-resolution detection of both the total intensity and polarisation of primordial CMB anisotropies. So, Easy for you to say. Yeah, so the irregularities of the CMB and uh, in both intensity and polarisation. Uh, and also, it was going to, it's, uh, going to create a catalogue of galaxy clusters, of which it has done, oh, and there's nice. some very Groot... Great examples of this. So, using a technique called the Sunyev Zeldovich effect, which is basically where low energy photons from the cosmic microwave background uh, receive an average energy boost when they collide with high energy cluster electrons on their way through these galaxy clusters. And uh, those observed distortions of, of the CMB can be used to uh, detect. Uh, galaxy clusters is everyone keeping up yeah because there will be a test <laughs> uh, and there's also observations of gravitational lensing of the cmb hmm. using the sachs wolf effect the observation of bright extragalactic Wait, whoa, radio whoa 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 whoa, whoa. sachs wolf sachs wolf as in sax wolf no s-a-c-h-s oh, wolf with damn a it I had such a good image in my head. <laughs> sax wolf. <laughs> yeah, so instead of howling at the moon. Oh, he's just, playing uh, sax at the moon. You know, just, just that really lovely, sexy music. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah, Matt. Yeah, 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 no, no. Uh, uh, he's going to observe extragalactic radio and infrared dusty galaxy sources. Uh -huh. um, uh, observations of the Milky Way, including the interstellar medium distributed synchrotron emissions... Uh, which are, I think, are is radiation given off by things that are rapidly spinning. So rapidly spinning objects like neutron stars give off uh, synchrotron emission radiation, and it. uh, it's going to take measurements of the galactic mag magnetic field. Studies of the solar system, including planets, asteroids, comets, and the zodiacal light. So it was doing millions of things. Zodiacal, zodiacal light. Oh, dear. But do you know where uh, Brian May is an, is an expert in zodiacal light, apparently? Is he? Yeah. I think that's what he did his just, PhD in. It just sounds like a psychedelic, a psychedelic band. Well, it was. It was Queen. They were a bit psychedelic. 
Uh, no, they weren't. No, not at all. Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> so two instruments were on the uh, Pla- Planck's uh, telescope. Go on. I'm going to give you the name of one, and I'll see if you can guess the other one. One was called okay. the Low Frequency Instrument. What do you think the next one was called? Uh, I'm going to say the High Frequency Instrument. And you were right. I'm a genius. One was called by Helium-4, and one was called by Helium-3. And people always say you're the clever one. <laughs> and when I say cooled, they were cooled to 0.1 degrees C above absolute zero. So if you think it's cold outside now, this is minus 273 degrees centigrade. <laughs> what would that do to me, Matt, if I went outside and it was that temperature? Oh, instant death. Instant But would I... Would I freeze or would I like no? You'd freeze implode. and then, no, you would freeze and then I I could just smash you to bits with a hammer. It'd be grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> and would you, you know, would you sort of use my eyeballs to put in your whiskey and stuff like that? Absolutely would. Jeez, I, got, I better keep on the right side of you. So I'm going to use this as our space fact of the week, Jamie. Here we go. In August two thousand and nine. The yeah. Planck Observatory was the coldest known object in the universe. And, and is that still the case? No. It, it exhausted its helium-3 and helium-4 coolant uh, by January 2012. And that was the end of the mission, essentially. Oh, that is... It's making me cold, Matt, just talking about it. Yeah. So I think the helium-3 ran out first. Uh, the yeah. high-frequency instrument was uh, was... Built by uh, JPL Caltech. Caltech, of course, uh, old Harriet's bunch. And and, oh, yes. uh, and Cardiff University. Now, where would you rather be right now? Cardiff University or Caltech? <laughs> no offence to Cardiff. No, I'm sure it's a very good university, but but let's face it, the weather. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just a bit cold. Um, so, yes, the service module for both Herschel and uh, Planck were exactly the same, built on the same yeah. thing. So... Um, uh, that saved a bit of money. Um, Did. Uh, so t- by 2009, there was a preliminary all-sky survey. And by mm. September, they realized everything was working absolutely perfectly. 2010, the first Planck photos were published, showing dust concentration within 500 light years from the sun. In, two- yeah. uh, in July 2010, the Planck mission delivered its first all-sky image, which is the corker and mm. then uh, 2014 a map of the galaxy's magnetic field um which actually uh, combined with the bicep 2 data people got very excited because they thought they'd seen the gravi- uh, some form of gravitational wave detection that mm. uh, proved um that basically proved the uh, inflation theory. But uh, right. it, it turned out that it could also be just dust between here. <laughs> it could just dust. be uh, cosmic dust that was causing it. It's, so dust. it's just dust. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it turns out that that might have been an over-exaggeration. Because remember, that was massive news at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That was absolutely huge. So, for all it's worth... It has been uh, awarded th- this 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 month uh, 
the uh, annual Royal Astronomical Society has uh, honoured it and they'll be going to collect their award at the European Week of Astronomy and Space Science in Liverpool in April. And I think you should get down to Liverpool. Oh, we, yeah, it'd actually be amazing to go to that. Planck has been transformative precisely due to its unprecedented precision. This award recognises the large and international team of scientists and engineers who have been essential to its success. And I should note that NASA were heavily involved in their expertise, etc. So this wasn't... Um, this was by no means just a European effort. But Well, I'm happy that finally someone is honouring Planck. Yeah, Planck. What a fantastic... Oh, it, it really has unlocked some of the secrets of the universe, and ESA should be extremely proud of that mission. Um, unfortunately... Do you know who I'm honouring today, Matt? Who are you honouring today, Jamie? Well, I'd like to talk about one of our patrons. Oh, wow. It's a new patron we've got, Matt. A new patron. Yeah. Wow. And who is this new patron? I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's Matt Gilliland. And can you tell me what he's just gone in as? He's gone in as Daedalus. That is insaniac. <laughs> Which is the ultimate level that you can go in at. He is now a show producer. Matt, what benefits does he get? He can, he's allowed to get involved with and uh, discuss podcast content and the shape of the show. And he's going to get random space gifts throughout the year. Random space what? gift. So you, yeah. you mean he's kind of like a trustee? Mm. So Daedalus, of, of course, is the famous interstellar craft designed by the British Interplanetary Society and showcased on Carl Sagan's Cosmos. Well, you know what, Matt? Thank you so much. Guys, check out the Patreon page if you want to support us. I mean, unbelievable. One ace first name. I mean, it's no Jamie, but it's, it's all right. <laughs> it is no Jamie. Just kidding. I mean, amazing. And guys, please keep, I know we say it every week, but you've no idea how much joy it brings to us when you send us in comments, questions, can we talk about this? Did you see that? We love all that, don't we? I can't get enough. Jamie, I was just having a little thought then. A little thought? I was Go having on. a little thought. I was thinking... I don't think that the International Space Station should ever be brought down and dumped into the ocean. I think it should be lifted out into a bigger orbit to remain as a as a sort of tourist attraction, like a, a permanent reminder of mankind's achievement, a sort of Taj Mahal in space. I think it should be, Matt, a museum yeah, in orbit. A museum in orbit. We should have a special area where we can have space tourism, where where there's this giant, enormous space park of the greatest space thing. So I think that I could be the manager of this museum. Yeah, Matt. imagine it. You should lift space you lift the space station up so it's in like it's in a in a graveyard orbit, I suppose. But a, a muse we could call it the museum orbit. And then we get stuff up there, we get some hotels up there. Uh, yeah. And um, and I was thinking we, you could build a hotel by using, say, the SLS core. Just instead of mm. like just letting that splosh down into the ocean or burn up, just get mm. it up and then refurbish it out as a as a basic hotel, and then and then send people up. They can go to the the orbiting museum and they can visit things like the the Planck telescope. 
mm. and Hubble and the oh, International yes. Space Station, and it would just put all the great things that we've put into that space. sounds like the best museum ever. Yeah, there it is. I was going to say on Earth then, but I would have been wrong. It could be called the Interplanetary Podcast Space Museum. You heard it here first. I'm going to write to NASA. Let's do it. I know that they denied me last time, but they will answer me, Matt, one time. <laughs> they will take notice. Right. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Um, I'm off to the pub to try and chat up a girl by talking about primordial fluctuations. <laughs> nice. Good, good, good luck. What are you up to, Matt? <laughs> I'm going to make myself a cup of cocoa, do some marking <laughs> and uh, get myself to bed. Oh, I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening, guys. Take care of yourself in this cold weather. And remember, you'll never be as cold as Plank. You'll never be as cold as Plank. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.